Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode Ocho Cinco of Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys from three different generations with three red-hot takes on sports and pop culture. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and the radio play-by-play voice of Z92.5 The Castle. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids. Our partners include Main Street Pizza with locations throughout mid-Michigan, the Corona Connection, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering Services. Thanks also to our website network teammates, Sports Radio Detroit, and our radio home, Z92.5 The Castle. If you like what you hear, help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and all the other great podcast hosting sites out there. Give us a rating, comment on our page, and you can also follow us on SoundCloud, tune in. Give us a rating and comment on our page, and you can also comment on any social media at 3 Point Pod. We're going to be having a couple special guests, Ryan Terpstra at Terp himself. He'll talk about Michigan football, maybe some other college football. Also, Joe Janka at Janka Joe. He's our MSU expert and another Corona grad. And we're going to get it all rolling right after these important messages. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your larger, small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, guys, uh, like we always do, we try to get uh, caught up on what we've been up to in the last uh, week or so since we met on this pod. And I'll start it off. Jared, you might appreciate this. Your, uh, your dad had a party for my dad, your grandfather, on uh, Saturday night. Of course, you couldn't make it. You were down covering the Michigan Wolverines. And uh, speaking of the Michigan Wolverines, the party itself, I, I was really feeling sorry for your dad. Let me just set the stage here for you. You know how your dad likes to go all out. He uh, he, he bought some uh, wood for the campfire. Well, unfortunately, we had big storms roll in the night before. It got soaking wet. So the firewood really didn't pan out like it, it really needed to be. And, uh, you know, your dad has that nice patio gazebo, and he got a big flat-screen TV all hooked up. You know, we were going to have our little birthday party for my dad. Watch the Michigan Wolverine game. Well, that's when the wheels fell off. Now, we've had this conversation before. You guys both know that I'm kind of addicted to TV, thus entertainment tonight. I spend my entertainment dollars, and I do admit I spend way too much on cable TV and the movie packages and all the sports channels, and I'm in my heaven at home. Well, <clears throat> Jared's dad... He, you know, we all have to work within our budget, and one of the budget cuts was the convenience of cable TV. Is that fair to say, Jared? Yeah, that's fair to say. I have a fe- I did not know. I think I know what you're about to say, and this was something I was worried about potentially <laughs> happening, but I confirmed that this is what happened, so just continue. Yeah, let me paint the picture here for you. So we went through the party, had some cake. About 7.35, I spoke up and says, hey, Josh. Put the Michigan game on. It's a 7.30 kickoff, so he's playing around with a remote. You know, we get it to the Big Ten Network. Nothing's happening. <laughs> so him and him and your brother Johnny are starting to get a little worked up. Your dad's trying to figure out what's going on with the TV. Here's, picture this. My dad, 89-year-old, right? We're celebrating his 89th party. He's going, Channel 59! Channel 59, John! <laughs> <laughs> It didn't work. The TV wasn't coming on the channel. We had no Big Ten network. Was there any way you, there was no one could plug 
plug in their BTN login or their cable, there was no way to get this BTN game on the TV. Well, we finally did. Uh, Jessica's husband, Tom, finally worked it out through his password and his uh, cable system at home. But that took, it was probably, I want to say three minutes to go in the second quarter before the TV came on. And the the party kind of was petered out at that point a little bit. And uh, you guys might appreciate this, but I did DVR the game at home before I left. Well, that's not surprising at all. (laughs) The way that I see this going, first off, this is a complete mistake on the host. And I know you said he had a lot on his plate. He wanted to make a good party. He even went so far, I had to go to my grandpa's house to get his flat screen out of the basement so that this thing could get hooked up outside. And let me just say, if you have the ability to hook up a TV outside on a patio, it is ten times better to watch it that way than inside, oh, especially yeah. on the first few weeks of college football. Totally agree. So went through that whole thing, and I can see how the problem started to arise there because, like you said, we cut the cords, and when that happened, there's a lot of stuff that we don't get. Uh, I remember a few years ago there was an Oakland versus Michigan State game on, it might have been B, it might have been BTN or something, like over Christmas break, a uh, basketball game that we were unable to watch. And I can just see how, first off, how frustrating that must have been for my family, especially. I know my brothers were probably right there, you know, chirping. Oh, they were relentless. <laughs> and I can just see when that score, 7-0, Middle Tennessee State's up, I can see that that might have been where things sort of ramped up a little bit, like we got to get this game on the TV. <laughs> I just picture this, too. Your dad's sitting on a lawn chair by himself by the fire pit, kind of has his hands, his face in his hands. He's looking down at his phone trying to figure something out. And... <laughs> I have to admit, for, for once, I was the older brother that had some compassion. I did not pile on. I didn't make I didn't make it any worse because my dad already was and your brothers already were. But it, it didn't quite go as well as, as your dad thought it well. But it was a good effort. He tried. I guess the only saving grace or the only thing maybe he should have done, just let alone the fact that, you know, Let's get a decent cable package, John. Throw that out. But he should have probably maybe tried to get the Big Ten Network in advance, you know, played around with it before people showed up, right? What I will say, though, it's almost like he pulled the long con because basically this means that we have Tom's login on BTN now. (laughs) You you might just have that. You're right. (laughs) So basically what we got out of that was we missed, yeah, we might have missed the first quarter, but from now on we have the BTN for free. free All right. Otherwise, it was a really good party, as always. Food was fantastic. We had a great time. How about you guys? Well, as you know, I was at the Michigan game, so I was covering it. And there was a few things that really stuck out to me. So first off, I get into the game. I'm there about an hour hour early, you know, getting all my stuff. I have the tripod on one shoulder, the camera on the other. And I'm just walking through this underground like connector between the Chrysler Center and the big house. And as I'm walking through this hallway that's about two feet, two, two and a half feet wide, it's a pretty narrow hallway. Like, no one else around. There's this one guy walking in front of me. And I, I'm not wearing my glasses, and for those who don't know, I'm, like, nearsighted. I cannot see stuff far away. So I look up. I see a guy walking. And I think we all do this sometimes, you know. You kind of drop your head, like, as you're walking by somebody or something like that. And I kind of looked up right before I was walking by him. And I look up. I see this guy. I recognize him. I look down. Look back up again, like, kind of do a double take. It's Tom Green. This is Tom Green, former Indiana basketball coach, Georgia Georgia basketball. I walk right by him. I, I like make the motion to like talk to him. Like but no words come out. I just completely free, freeze. He looked at me. He could tell that I recognized who he was and that I wanted to say something to him, but nothing came out. So I just like walked by him and then like I did like I did like a spin around like to look back at him. Like was that really who just walked by? And then I just kept going on with my life. Just I saw Tom Crean. Nothing was said. No words were said. And. I regret not saying something. Not, not even, say there? not even a nod of the head. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> no, I, I told you I tried to say nothing came out. I, I was frozen. Boy, fanboy for Tom Crean. How about but that? I was going to say you got big timed a little bit. <laughs> but I'm always over, like, I don't want to bother. Like, what's your guys' move if you see like a, somebody that's like a celebrity of some sorts? Because I always feel like I don't want to ask them for a picture. I feel like that's just that's so like that's bothering them. And honestly, I, I don't want to be the guy. What is t- taking a picture of Tom Cream? Well, like, what's, de- what's the point of having a picture? Right, of you definitely don't want to do it when you're doing something as your, as credential. That's a that's a definite no no. You know, that's what I thought. Yeah, you don't want to do that, and you don't want to ask for an autograph. Now, totally cool and kosher would have been if you would have said something to him and said, "Hey, Tom, uh, man, I've watched your career. I think you're doing a great job. Whatever." He'd he'd appreciated that. He he would have said hello to you and probably been cool, especially in that you- setting. 
do you call him Tom? Do you call him Coach Crean? Do you yeah. call him Mr. Crean? What do you? How do you address him? Uh, the first two, I don't know if I'd call him Mr. Crean. I mean, he wouldn't care. If, <laughs> he wouldn't care if you did, but I don't. I don't think I would do that. But Coach, he would. He would appreciate it, Coach. Yeah, I don't think I would go Mr. Crean. That's a little too. I don't know, formal. <laughs> Coach Crean. You know, maybe not Tom the first time. But yeah, there's definitely. It, whenever these conversations come up, and I'm not. I'm not trying to like big time anything, but. You know, working at ESPN, numb to being around, you know, celebrities or former athletes or, or when current athletes, coaches come in. Just the other day, Coach K and Roy Williams were in the office. And sometimes, like, walking around, it's, like, just another thing. Like, I think I told the story before, second or third day I was at work, I almost bumped into Magic Johnson coming out of the bathroom up in Bristol. So, like, sometimes, like, I've come a little, become a little bit, like, I don't know, used to that kind of thing. But I definitely remember, you know, the first few times kind of having that reaction like you did, Jared. But like you said, Ted, there's definitely a an unwritten rule, especially when you're credentialed or at work, not to, like, fanboy out too much, you right. know. But I don't know. There's sometimes, like, I, I've talked to a few guys before when I was, when like, working for them or, you know, cutting highlights for them or whatever. They're just other people, too. They're, they're normal sports fans who just happen to be professional athletes or former coaches and stuff like that. So I think they would appreciate it sometimes if you're like, hey, man, I, I love this work. Or I love this game you did or, you know, whatever it was. They would appreciate that stuff, too. So what else went on there? So, on, then, I, so then basically on my way to my field, on the field, uh, and I'm sh- and I was in an interview during the game, before the game, Juwan Howard was there. And he was standing right next to me taking pictures. And like I said, I, like I'm not, I'm not going to go up to him and you know take a picture with him or whatever. But one thing I did notice – and this is just kind of a little bit inside of how my brain is wired. He was wearing shorts, and he was wearing black Jordan socks. And I thought, <laughs> does he wear those black socks, like, on purpose, like the Fab Five? Does he only wear black socks, like, because of that reason? Or did he just happen to put on a pair of, pair of black socks, and my, like, brain ran away with it? What do you guys think? I think, yeah, he probably does wear those because of the Fab Five connection and, you know, the whole story behind that. See, and that's another one where I feel like – Again, I, you know, the extreme of being a fanboy. Like, if you ran up so excited, like, I got to get a picture with you, you know, like, fanboy out, that's different. But if you went up and you said, you know, hey, Coach Howard, super excited for you to be back in Michigan, you know, love, well, you weren't, you weren't old enough to watch the Fab Five, but, you know, you could still say love the Fab Five, you know, give him some compliments like that, looking forward to seeing the squad this year. I think they appreciate that kind of thing. You know, like like I said, they're normal people too. So, like, being scared to talk to them, you know, that that's not necessary either. Yeah, and I think along with that, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Matt. And, yeah, would it be cool to have a picture with these famous coaches and athletes? Sure. But also a good story is if you just went up to them and, like a normal human being, like Matt said, have a little quick chat with him and maybe shake his hand or fist bump him, and then you got a memory and you got something to tell. Exactly. That, I remember – Probably the second or third time that Barry Sanders was on campus in Bristol, you know, when I was up in Bristol at ESPN, uh, the first couple times I was fairly new. Everyone always said, like, no, when all these people are around, you know, you're not supposed to go and try and take pictures. You're not supposed to stalk them down, you know, all all that stuff that we've talked about. So I was like, you know, a new, new, fresh ESPN employee, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. By the time I had a few years and I'd seen him a few times, I was like, I don't care, man. This is Barry Sanders. This is my most favorite athlete of all time. I'm going to talk to him and get a picture. So I did. I went up to him, introduced myself, told him I'm a lifelong Lions fan. He, He said, let's get a picture. I got a picture with him. We talked about the Silver Dome for a while. We talked about, you know, Ford Field. I asked him, you know. I asked him something like if he wishes he would have played at a place like Ford Field instead of the Silverdome. I don't know why I asked him that, but I did. So, yeah, like, like you said, Ted, I, kind of a cool, I had a little five-minute conversation with him instead of being, like, hunkered down in my chair, like, oh, my God, that's Barry Sanders. Oh, my God, that's him. I have a little bit of a memory of talking. And, and you have a story. I mean, if you have grandkids or whatever, <laughs> children, but you know, other, other children to share it with, you got a story. And, you know, that's going to come with time there, Jared. You want to hear a story? Well, I do have a, You want to hear a story that I'm going to tell my grandkids when the day comes? Yeah. So this is exactly what I don't want to be. So there's this guy in the front row right behind the, the middle Tennessee State bench. Okay. And every guy, he knows every guy. Zach Gentry walks the sideline. I didn't know Zach Gentry. He, like, he's yelling at all these guys. He knows everyone. Taylor Lewan. Don Brown walks out, and he is screaming at Don Brown. Dr. Blitz! Dr. Blitz! <laughs> Don Brown. And this guy's like 45 years old, like 300 pounds. He's a bigger guy. The way to say anything to do it, he's just like 45 years old. Don Brown comes over there and shakes his hand. The guy shakes Don Brown's hand, 
he then proceeds to do all his hand in front of his face and stare at it and goes, Don Brown shook my hand! <laughs> I mean, his word, that's, a, that's way better. That's such a good story. Oh. That's something I'm never going to forget. Now, was that guy just a special guest on the sideline? He wasn't a, a media member, was he? No, he was in the front row. Oh, front like, row. Like an hour before the game, you know, <laughs> one of those guys that comes down from the nosebleeds and like, yes. comes down to, like, watch. <laughs> That's awesome. It was an unbelievable scene. That's... I'll never forget that. That's the story I tell my grandkids. Now, did you cover what. the presser afterwards? I did. I went there. And yet again, you know, I was going back and forth. Do I ask a question? Don't I ask a question? I decided not to ask a question. Basically because I was too much of a pansy. Because when you get in there, and I know I said this last year, it is a bit of a high intensity. And when you're in the very back with a tripod, no one with a tripod asked a question. That's the one thing I know. No one even got was called on. There was about 10 of us. But I did, like, sheepishly raise my hand a couple times. Like, almost knowing that I wasn't going to get called on. Just were, so I could say, like, hey, I'm raising my hand. I'm trying. Were you ready, though, if they would have called on you? Well, this is what I would have. So let me ask you guys, like, honestly, what would you have thought of this question? So I was going to ask. No one had asked it. And I was like, this kind of seems like an obvious question. So I was going to ask, like, Jim Harbaugh. So, hey, Coach Harbaugh. Or I might have said Jim. I kind of thought about it. That was another thing I was kind of playing back and forth in my brain. Do I call him Jim? Do I call him Coach? Coach Just call Harbaugh, him Coach. Mr. Harbaugh. I'd call him Coach. <laughs> coach. So I said, hey, Coach. So... You obviously, you know, the completely new offense tonight, spread option. You're obviously a long time. You've been a pro style, you know, run the ball first type of coach. Do you miss having a fullback out there on offense? Do you, do you, is that something you might bring out, you know, on a goal line formation, like under center, hand the ball off? Is that something you could see yourself doing down the road? I'd, I'd say that's a fair, I would say that's a fair question. Maybe condense it a bit, but oh, I would say that is a fair question. A bit long winded? A little. I mean, you got to fire it out pretty quick. I, I'll tell you why. You probably noticed there were some long-winded questions, and it it just it's a bit of an irritant, you know, <laughs> to the coach and the other people. I think if you if you're gonna get called upon, man, jump right at right at it and get to the point, you know. You know, I don't even really know because it's like even if I was like an ir- I I don't like that wouldn't even I wouldn't even really care if that makes sense. Right. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a middle ground. You don't just want to be like. Do you miss having a fullback? Right. You know, that's or true. you don't want to sit there and talk for three minutes with your question. You right, know? right. So, yeah, there's a middle ground. And, yeah, I mean, it'll take practice. You'll, you'll get there. I mean, Ted, you, you probably remember your first couple times doing stuff like that. And I think you've told stories that, you know, you remember some things. You look back and you're like, what the hell was I doing? Oh, yeah, I remember well. I remember very well. And it, it, I was fortunate because I was able to finagle a couple of press passes to the a Michigan game I covered and went to the press conference. And I was just like Jared, man. I was a little bit scared. And, you know, and the, the guy that went with me, Mike Valasek, he kept hitting me in the ribs. Ted, you got to ask a question. Ted, you got to ask a question. So he just egged me on, and I did. So I was, and after that, it became real easy. Once you break through, well, how about you, Matt? Anything uh, interesting? You, you seem to spend a lot of time at the ocean or out partying. I mean, you must have a lot of seniority there at ESPN to get these weekends off. You know, I, I had to work Saturday morning because college football's back, so I can't just have every weekend off anymore. You know, woe was me. But yeah, we so I, I had to work Saturday morning. But then yeah, the rest of the weekend we just kind of hung out at the pool and almost like a staycation type of Labor Day weekend. We didn't really feel it. We'd been spending a lot of time at the ocean and stuff. So we were like, let's just hang around here, go to the pool, and, you know, get some grub and watch Michigan. I wanted to be home to watch the Michigan game. Looking forward to just sitting on my couch and enjoying that. So, yeah, and then and then watching the, uh, the SEC kind of have a lackluster weekend, and I, I couldn't wait to – come to work and hear all the SEC fans complain about it. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to definitely break down Michigan, Michigan State, college football, the opening weekend. Man, we got lots to get into in a relatively short period of time, so let's get after it right after this break. I just want to tell our listeners about Advanced Elevator. Advanced Elevator features top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators, an area business leader and longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. Also, the CoronaConnection.com. They know it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona at CoronaConnection.com. And speaking of Corona, all parents want to do what's best for their child, right? Well, look no further than the Corona Public Schools. Young or old, it's great to be gold. As you guys know, I was at the Michigan game on Saturday night. I didn't really have a chance to actually decompress it until Monday morning. And let me back it up and explain how this happened. So I had my buddy's 21st party uh, down in Grand, downtown Grand Rapids. 
and I had to take the bus there, you know, on Sunday. Uh, then we hung out, spent the day, spent the night at a hotel, woke up Monday, walked to the bus stop. And it was I was hungover. I was wearing a sweatshirt because it was colder the night before, and it was about 80 degrees yesterday. It was horrible. I was sitting at this bus stop. So the bus comes every 45 minutes on the weekends. So I got there, you know, right at 12. So I figured, oh, it's going to be here at 12.45. So I sat there, and I just felt terrible sitting here. And that was when I really, like, started to think about this Michigan game and what I saw. So that just kind of explains my thought process of how I was feeling at this time. So it was about 45 minutes of me just sitting there and decompressing on a game that I thought, oh, Michigan played okay. But then I really thought about it. A college football playoff team, and that's where the bar is set this year, does not win 40-21 to 21 against the Middle Tennessee State. I, I mean, this team, Middle Tennessee State, their quarterback, we couldn't tackle him. You would have thought he was Kyler Murray out there. Asher O'Hara. First off, the guy's name is Asher. I don't know. This is a problem in my book. But we couldn't tackle him. He was like Barry Sanders out there. And we just played so sloppy. Shea's fumbling left and right. LaVert Hill's dropping interceptions that should be taken back for touchdowns. He's muffing punts. R.J. Bell, this guy that I just heard of on Saturday, is dropping touchdown catches. It just, it was weird. It was such a sloppy game. And I get that it was the first time with this new offense, but you can't, I can't say this enough. It's Middle Tennessee State. I mean, figure it out. We're sitting here in a dogfight with Middle Tennessee State. Not a college football playoff team, if you ask me, after that game. So you don't think there's any way they rebound from that? Uh, you know, you're just all they showed you is this is going to be a typical Michigan year. You know, 9, 10, maybe, well, 9 or 10 wins, not even 11. From what I saw in week one, that's what I saw. I mean, this defense didn't look very good. The, like, what about this game? Did either of you guys like have like, oh, this like this got me really excited? Well, and I know people keep saying we had an awesome rushing attack. Zach Zach Charbonnet, this guy, like he got all of his yards in scrub time. If you think that we're gonna have some like dynamic rushing attack this year, we're not. I mean, we got stopped four plays in a row on the one yard line against the Blue Raiders. At first, I I, I was gonna be say I was surprised with this take from Jared, but at the same time, I'm not because. You basically have never seen Michigan really good. So a little bit of a contrarian Michigan fan, I guess, is what we can call Jared's generation. So it's not surprising to hear him say that. I personally, I'm I'm not going to say they're not a college football playoff team, and I'm not going to say that they are because, yeah, it wasn't like an extremely impressive win over Middle Tennessee State. Their starting tackle got hurt at the beginning of the season, so they had to bring in a redshirt freshman. Another, Their other starting tackle didn't play. He dressed but could have played. So, you know, they had some injury, injuries on the offensive line. The biggest thing to me was the, the offensive play calling. I can't understand how people can watch that game, Michigan fans, and be mad about the, you know, say like Josh Gaddis, he was supposed to come in and change the offense, and it's the same old, same old. Like, if you watch that game, the offense looked modern. The, the offense finally looked like a, a modern college football offense with the play calling. And the biggest thing to me was last year they averaged 26 pass attempts per game. Shea Patterson had 25 pass attempts at halftime. So they're already adjusting there. I, I don't. You're not impressed with Zach Charbonnet? I don't know how because the kid's a true freshman. He was playing high school football last year and he looked like he was a third-year college football player. I mean, he looked like he knew what he was doing out there, p- picking up pass blocks and, you know, busting off long runs. Ronnie Bell also, I-, I was surprised to hear you say that because Ronnie Bell has some ridiculous highlight tapes on YouTube. His basketball and high school football highlight tapes are actually ridiculous. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised you haven't come across those, Jared, as much as you love highlight tapes. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not, like, super excited, I, but I'm not mad about what they did. They won the game. They're 1-0. A lot of teams across all of college football look sloppy on Saturday. So, I mean, you know, it was the first game, and they got to win. I, I'll be curious to see them against Army this weekend. Yeah. Is it a, a modern offense it's putting Dylan McCaffrey out at wide receiver? First, that made, That's, like, the definition of getting way too cute. And that's what makes me, like, get a little bit nervous about Josh Gaddis. I liked a lot of what you said. Like, yeah, it's modernized, and they're obviously running the spread. They're throwing the ball a lot more. I liked the way it looked. But the second you bring in Dylan McCaffrey in motion on a jet sweep and you're throwing screen passes to him is the second I go, oh, does this guy know what he's doing? Well, what? No defender looks at McCaffrey coming in motion and says and gets nervous. Like, the, the fifth string wideout is more of a running threat than McCaffrey. I get he can run at quarterback, but it, huh. that's just a joke. It's a joke. Those plays that they brought McCaffrey in, and they even a couple times split Shea out at, like, a, you know, a slot receiver type of thing. And then, yeah, they threw that one screen pass to McCaffrey. I don't care if he's, like, a very good runner, fast, and all that kind of stuff. 
he's your backup quarterback. I don't know if he should be throwing like bubble <laughs> screens to your backup quarterback. But yeah, that's... those were the few play calls when they had both quarterbacks in. That I was like, okay, maybe put those up on the shelf and maybe don't call those again. That's definitely legit both ways. And I've kind of a little bit more in the middle on viewing that game. I probably would lean more towards Matt viewpoint because, I mean, think about it. Shea Patterson, yeah, he fumbled a couple early times and they both led to touchdowns. I mean, like you mentioned, Jared, Lavert Hill, how he dropped that pick six is beyond me. But, you know, if you convert those plays, you're looking at a whole different score. And the only thing that I will say that reminds me of the old Michigan is the fact that you don't see Ohio State or Clemson open up that way. You know, yeah, it's a first game, and they got some kinks to to work out, but the real big-time programs that are playing for a national championship, they don't – they don't slip up much right from the get-go. That's that's my only viewpoint. But I thought there was enough there to see for Michigan for me to still be optimistic. I'm going to just chalk that one up to week one. And, Jared, did you see? Did you get a chance to see the game on television at all, or are you going from your viewpoint down there at field level? No, my viewpoint down there at field level. I don't, I don't know how we can – it was a home night game for Michigan. Right. Like, those Middle Tennessee State players – were probably crapping their pants heading in. It's like that was a tough environment. I'm there on the field. I can see it. And yet, this is what we get: a 19 point victory, an ugly game where it's just we get. This is the like I, this is the biggest problem I had. Four tries on the one yard line to punch it in against Middle Tennessee State with this returning offensive line. So many starts for Michigan on this offensive line. Caesar Ruiz, all these guys. We can't punch it in. I mean, you think that we're going to be able to run the ball against? You know, Michigan State? Who just held Tulsa to minus 73 yards? (laughs) That's who I go to. That's quite an eye-opening stat. (laughs) You know, it's not an excuse because it's always next man up, but they had two big changes on their offensive line. So while they have a lot coming back, they had two redshirt freshmen starting on the offensive line. So, you know, that was their first legit game action. And, you know, the thing to me, too, is 21 points for Middle Tennessee State. Seven came in garbage time, that long touchdown pass at the end of the game, whatever. The other 14 came off of turnovers where Middle Tennessee State got the ball in Michigan territory. So, again, it's not excuses, but it's, the rest of the game, really, the defense was fine. There were a lot of missed tackles. I saw the, like, people were talking about, like, you know, was Asher, like, greased up or something? Because it seemed like she was missing a lot of tackles, especially early on. But I think it's one of those things, I've seen people say that Michigan fans aren't happy unless they're miserable and complaining, and I honestly think that is part of the thing. I mean, immediately when the first play of the year, Patterson fumbles it, and then whatever, three or four plays later, Middle Tennessee State punches it in for a touchdown. I was just like, like the dumpster fire gif is already coming out for every Michigan fan. Fire Gaddis, Harbaugh is overrated. It's like Michigan fans can't just like take a step back and just look at the bigger picture, and they have a brand-new offensive coordinator. They're still working out some kinks. And, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones wasn't playing. Right. Started a true freshman at running back. Like, that's not the end of the world here. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm glad you guys got a chance to see Patterson's fumble there live, uh, but I, I didn't quite get a chance to see that until I watched the replay on uh, DVR. But that's a whole yeah, other story. Yeah, it's weird how you need uh, <laughs> a subscription to the network to be able to watch that. I will say this, though. I would like to hear Jared's viewpoint on this. What, what did you think of the play of Patterson? He didn't play. I didn't think he played very well. No? But I, the thing that makes me I'm okay with Shea is he he was like, if, of all the people who came into that post-game presser, he was the most like just disappointed in the way they played and the way he played, which is good to me. That Because there's some of those other guys who come in there, some of the players like Amory Thomas, and you would have thought that they just won the Super Bowl. But not Shea Patterson. You know, he realized that he didn't play good, and so that, that gave me some solace knowing that he knew he didn't play well. Yeah. Well, I think they're okay at quarterback. I thought he played okay, and I I liked enough what I saw McCaffrey. I think Harbaugh is going to continue to use him in moments. I'm in total agreement with you guys, though. We don't need to see him split out. We don't need to see screen passes to him. He's too valuable as a backup. You know, if if Patterson goes down, you got to have McCaffrey. I I know they got Milton, but I, I think McCaffrey is solidly entrenched as number two. The other thing to me is they're one and zero. College football, you just got to win and move on. Yeah, just ask Tennessee how they feel today. Exactly. Well, are we, is Michigan, are we comparing ourselves to Tennessee or are we comparing ourselves to Alabama? Well, I mean, Tennessee is. Because if you think Nick Saban coached that game for Michigan last night, you think he's happy beating Middle Tennessee State by 19? No. Nope. It's not a championship 
level team. That's well, what I said. I don't That's think, what makes me scared. I don't think Harbaugh's happy, but it is a W, and in college football we saw it. Who would ever think Georgia State could beat an SEC team, even if it's Tennessee? I mean, what the hell happened to them, you know? I mean, Boise State over Florida State. You could maybe see that one coming, but uh, it's just every Saturday these kids all have scholarships. They're all Division One schools, right? So, yeah, you would like to see a, a blowout like what? Penn State beat Idaho 79-7. Absolutely. Or, or like the games when Michigan's beating Rutgers by 80 points or whatever. Yeah, you'd love to see that. And that has always been a criticism of Michigan is like, lesser opponents they can't put them away all the way back to app state beating them but even back in like the 90s and early 2000s it seems like they couldn't you know put those smaller teams away but like it's funny because michigan fans are sitting here like i mean like jared saying that you know they're they have no shot at the college football playoff you know almost like call the season right now the season's over but like Ohio State beat FAU 45-21, basically the same score as Michigan beat Middle Tennessee State, and you don't hear those complaints about Ohio State. That's fair. Well, that's because they are proven, and that's because FAU is a lot better. They have Blaine Kiffin, they have the big name brand, and it wasn't like like just the way Michigan played. It was just ugly. It was just so many like mental errors, and it wasn't that Middle Tennessee State looked good. It was that Michigan just like was making just so many mistakes. That's my problem. with well, we'll see how the season shakes down, but they've always said you got to keep an eye on a team from week one to week two and what kind of improvement. And they're going to have a good test against Army. Army's in the uh, top 30 rankings, I believe. They're honorable mention. They're just out of the top 25, and that's going to be a good test, I think, for the Wolverines. We might have a little better handle after this coming Saturday. I will be interested to see what Ryan Terpstra has to say about the Wolverines, and we're going to patch through to him next. All right, so next up with us, uh, he's joined us before, but for anyone who hasn't heard him on, on the Three Point Podcast before, his name's Ryan Terpstra. He's a fellow Grand Valley State University alum, fellow Fox 17 alum. He worked at ESPN 96.1 out of Grand Rapids for a little bit, and he's got a bunch of other stuff going on now. You can follow him on Twitter, at Terp himself. Yeah, Ryan Terps is with us to talk a little Michigan football. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be back on the podcast. I didn't ruin everything the last time <laughs> I was on and uh, excited to talk about Michigan this year. Yeah, so I guess the, the first thing I want to ask you, and we, we talked about, amongst the three of us, we talked about our thoughts on, on the game. Uh, Jared wasn't as, he was a little skeptical about the win, and Ted and I were a little more down the middle. Biggest takeaway to me, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, was the offensive play calling. That was the the talk in the offseason, you know, the new shiny offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, coming in. To me, the, the offense just looked more modern. The execution wasn't the best, but the play calling was better. What, what did you see, I guess, just out of the offense in general? Yeah, I would say that, that that's a good thing to talk about because I was in-game not very satisfied with what I was seeing, and I think some of that does have to do with the play calling because this is Gaddis's first time I think as the primary play caller in his college football career and that is not something that you just you know wake up one day and you're great at you have to get a, a feel for the game you have to get a feel for your personality and how things are going and you have to make decisions in the moment whether you want to call a certain play or try and you know attack a certain situation so I think we saw that a couple of times where he made mistakes in this game you know, the two quarterbacks that once set uh, multiple times both turned into disasters. There were um, attempts to, you know, either, well, I think, run the ball too much or throw the ball too much or just uh, call plays that put Michigan in tough situations where they have obvious passing or obvious um, running downs and they didn't execute quite as well. So that just is a lesson for everybody as well as the, the guys playing the game is for the coaches to look back at what was working, what didn't, and how to get themselves in a little bit of a flow. And I think that Gaddis and Harbaugh are going to be talking about here uh, in between game one and game two is just how to utilize the play calling, how not to wreak momentum, and uh, how not to set themselves up in like such obvious passing downs because that RPO offense has a run-pass option. So both should be on the table to be the most effective and too many times Michigan was in third and long situations because of mistakes or poor play calling, and I think that that harms you as an offense because you don't have as much versatility. So I take it you did not uh, like the usage of Dylan McCaffrey at wideout and Shea Patterson at wideout and running screen plays to Dylan McCaffrey? You didn't think that that was a nice little wrinkle to have in the offense? I think it would be a nice one if it worked. <laughs> it looks very, very poorly executed. 
So if they've got something up their sleeve for, you know, say uh, Notre Dame or Ohio State or Michigan State down the road, where they, they want to put this on tape, they want people to be preparing for it, you know, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm thinking they've got to have some kind of plan to throw out of this or have some sort of misdirection. But I understand putting McCaffrey in a skill slot type of role, but not Patterson. And I think it's just a way to get your guys hurt against a team like this where you don't need that kind of play. But if they wanted to practice it, they I guess that's something that they chose to do. If I think I got a really good play, I would have saved it for a more important situation. I don't think either of those guys is a huge threat to take you to the house. It's not like you're lining Denard Robinson out there uh, or Devin Gardner, guys that have like really, really elite uh, athleticism. McCaffrey is much better taking off from in the pocket when the rush comes on him or doing a, a QB keeper, well, as we saw on his touchdown run. I think he's a little bit less effective in space when you're throwing out to him out there, but I think Gaddis thinks he has something, and uh, if they if they complete that play and score a touchdown off of it against Notre Dame or Michigan State, you know, I'll be pretty happy. But that didn't look like the best <laughs> planned execution that I've ever seen out of Michigan. You know, Ryan, Patterson got off to a little shaky start with the fumble that led to seven. But uh, overall, what did you think of his play? I thought he actually played pretty good. That, that stinks, the fumble right off the bat, and then they turn it into a touchdown on that broken tackle play. But if you look at his stats, and especially when the offense did have those sustained drives when they were humming when he threw the touchdown to Black, and then they, you know, he finishes pretty decent stats, and he's not expected to make quite as many plays against an opponent like this. I thought he looked pretty good. He's certainly going to be more comfortable in this offense given his experience at Old Miss and then now playing for a year at Michigan. And I think he is the right type of quarterback to run this offense. So I liked what I saw out of Shea Patterson. I wanted to get your thoughts kind of along these lines of the whole, just in general. I don't think there's a quarterback controversy in Michigan, but it's, it's <laughs> obvious that, and Harbaugh has said it, he wants to get McCaffrey in the game. And, you know, some people, you know, a lot of Michigan fans are already calling for McCaffrey to be the starter. Uh, Jared, we could ask you, but there was talks of people, because you were on the field for the game, people booing when Patterson came back in the game. You know, so do you think, you know, having a guy like McCaffrey behind your starter, Shea Patterson, actually is creating a little bit of an issue? You know, they always say, like, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, because you're always wanting to see which one has, you know, the best game going. You know, you think, do you think there's a problem there? Or do you think, you know, Harbaugh and Gaddis will be able to figure it out? I don't think there's a problem there. I think McCaffrey's playing because he's good enough to play. And that being said, the fans get excited because he runs around, he makes plays, he's got a famous last name, and so um, this is not quite the Tom Brady, Drew Henson situation of the late 90s, but this is a, uh, a situation where people are like, hey, we've got that shiny new toy. Uh, if she ever messes up, um, why don't you put McCaffrey in there? Guy makes play. I think you saw that Dylan is a little <laughs> bit uh, too excited to just tuck the ball and run. I think that he needs to work on his passing game a little bit more. He does make the RPO offense more effective because he just is uh, a better athlete than Patterson. But I don't think there should be a controversy here. I think Michigan fans should be happy that if something were to happen to Patterson, that they have a very capable backup. But I didn't see McCaffrey outperform him by any standard. I think he's still a young quarterback with a lot to learn, and he's going to be an exciting guy to watch in this offense next year when he takes the reins. But I think that Patterson should be the starter. And, and just because the offense doesn't score a touchdown every single time he has the football is not an indictment on him either. So I don't see a controversy here. I just see see that Michigan finally has multiple quarterbacks that are good enough to play instead of trying to run a Stephen Threat, Nick Sheridan-led offense like uh, we had 10 <laughs> years ago. Ouch. Hey, that offense had its times of being electric. You watch your mouth when you uh, make fun of uh, those those restaurant offenses. <laughs> uh, so I was arguing with them earlier. Do you think a college football playoff caliber team plays Middle Tennessee State tough? Because I surely don't. And that was what made me most nervous about this game. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of weirdness this week. I mean, Alabama and Duke were scoreless after one quarter. And uh, then you see also some of these other scores and upsets and things like that. And the touchdown that put Middle Tennessee on the board, that was the fumble off the first play, and then the guy scored a touchdown 
on a play that should never have happened because the play should have been blown dead because of Michigan's offside, making Middle Tennessee State jump, false start. Then three people had to tackle on the quarterback, but they all ran into each other, injuring Michael Dwumpour, and then the guy actually you know, was able to score away and score the touchdown. They didn't, like, sustain drives, uh, really. I mean, the third touchdown was against backups, and the other touchdown was a short field as well. I was just disappointed that maybe Michigan didn't punch it in quite as many times. Some mistakes were made. Week one, uh, Middle Tennessee State is not as bad as people think, but, yeah, Michigan should handle them pretty easily. And Michigan's have a chance to prove themselves. They've got a ridiculously tough schedule. They're going to play really good teams. They're going to have to beat all those good teams that they're going to be college football caliber. This is not last year's team. Was just elite defensively, was going to smother everybody. I think this year you're relying on your offense. You've got a pretty good offensive line. You've got a senior quarterback that you expect to make really good decisions. And we saw some young skill players there. I think this is a really, really tough offense to cover when Donovan Peoples-Jones returns. And uh, it looked like Zach Charbonnet is the truth. So I'm pretty happy with that when you saw the young running backs do well in blitz pickup, and that's what Harbaugh mentioned specifically in his presser. You know that there's more firepower waiting in that John Runyon's going to return, is going to return. I was more concerned about the defense maybe not holding up in certain situations, but there's a lot of guys playing their positions for the first time as full-time starters, and you just can't replace that kind of first-round NFL talent uh, like in Devin Bush and, and losing um, you know guys like Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich and players like that. So this is going to be an offensively-oriented team. They put a 40 the first week, and uh, they had plenty of mistakes uh, to fix. So that's going to be the focus for Michigan this year. They're going to probably win some shootouts. And that's really that's what they're built to do. They're built to be a different kind of team this season, and uh, they're going to have a chance to prove themselves. Even though they left some, uh, you know, they left some fans like you and I, Jared, wanting a little bit more off of this one. They've got a good opponent coming up with Army, and I think they'll have their chance to, to show what they learned in between game one and game two. What what adjustments do you see, Ryan, from week one to week two? What do they got to work on the most? Stopping the run. Absolutely, because they didn't do a great job there against Middle Tennessee State. That's Army's bread and butter, stopping the run, making sure that these athletes, these uh, four- and five-star kids they recruited, show up. I mean, there was um, if Dwarmford doesn't play, that's going to be a, a tall task, actually. Ben Mason, uh, bless his heart, got rocked playing interior defensive line. So that's the big thing I want to see. I thought the linebackers played very good. I thought Ross had a couple of great plays. And then the secondary came up as well. It was so good to see Ambry Thomas, who had colitis and lost a bunch of weight and then gained a bunch of weight back, and then he came out and just balled. So the secondary is looking okay. I just want to see how they do defensively. Uh, you don't want to have the, the fumbles or the punts or the, those kind of turnovers. You want to give your offense as many chances as they can to uh, score when they have the football. And so those are the two things that I'm really looking for, stopping the run and um, – not making as many mistakes uh, in game number two. All right, Ryan. Hey, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, definitely we want to check in with you periodically throughout the year. And, again, tell our listeners where they can uh, catch some of your thoughts. Please uh, interact with me on social media. At Trump himself is my handle. Always talking about football, beer, fun stuff like that. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, anytime you guys want to talk to Michigan uh, football, I'm here for you. All right, Ryan. Hey, we really appreciate it, and we'll check in with you down the road. Go Blue. Joe Janka here. I'm your Michigan State insider for the Three Point Podcast, uh, giving you some thoughts about what I thought I saw um, this past Friday night for the Michigan State-Tulsa game. I'll start with some good, and then I'll come into some bad. First thing I'll say is that I think it's pretty common, and I believe the stat is that D'Antonio is 1-9 covering the spread in first games of the season. Um, so I don't want to make any drastic assumptions or um, declare anything about this team just yet because I think State normally starts kind of slow, especially from an offensive standpoint. So um, you can say that's making excuses, but it is what it is. First thing, some good as I thought and um, about the offense. One positive thing that did come out of it is I do think State tried to schematically do some different things. Um, Lewerke was very uh, much in a spread type 
scenario most of the game. Um, yes, I know the execution of those plays wasn't always there, but he very rarely was under center um, with a fullback and a running back and just running it straight in the one hole and you know trying to play the game inside of a phone booth. I thought they at least tried to open it up a bit. Um, and again, the execution wasn't there, but as um, many people has ever listened to me before, at least they're trying something different, which I think is a positive in some some sense. Um, another positive for the game, obviously, is I think State, is, as many people predicted, their front seven and especially their defensive line is going to be one of the best in the country. Um, one surprise from the game, Jacob Panishuk, um, the brother of the nose guard for Michigan State, actually had a great game as well. Pairing him with Willikiz, Raekwon Williams, and the other Panashuk, I think State's going to be dominant up front from here to come on their defensive line. And I think even though it's it's Tulsa, but I think they're going to be able to continue some of that positivity throughout the season, if you want to say. And I think you win a lot of games up front, and at least from the defensive standpoint, I think State's all there, at least with their defensive front seven. You know, there is uh, some other positives. I think their special teams is much improved this year, not only from a – I mean, they had a block – punt um, on a return standpoint Jalen Naylor is much more elusive than what they were throwing out there last year I believe having Hartbarger healthy for the year and especially a team that's going to rely on their defense um, having him there and knowing that they can flip the field at times is going to help them immensely throughout the year um, moving into the negatives I think it's obvious the offense wasn't there there was drops I believe I counted uh, seven or eight throughout the game um, their offensive line yes banged up but I'm sick of excuses with their offensive line um, there was no push up front. Uh, most of their runs were one to two yards, and um, you know it just wasn't very efficient. It wasn't, um, and especially against a Tulsa, you hope to see a little bit more push from the up front, more running lanes for the running backs. In the work, he just didn't have time and was attempting to make plays. And some of those plays, he you know was forcing the ball, uh, throwing good passes, and getting drops. And just from an overall efficiency standpoint, especially against a Tulsa, um, it did not like what I was going to see. And obviously, if they continue that. Um, they're going to struggle with teams down the road. Um, maybe not this week as much with Western, but d- from an offensive standpoint. But you know, you're playing the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Northwesterns, the Penn States, the Wisconsin's of the world. Um, you play that inefficiently offensively. You can only rely on your defense so much. So um, ideally, this week against Western, they can be um, a bit more explosive, complete more of those passes. Their offensive line looks a little bit better, and then get healthy by the time they get to the middle of their schedule. But I really do think there is more positives and negatives from the game just because, you know, if you're start every team they play this year, they're probably going to have the most dominant unit with that defensive front seven. Um, But it does make me a little bit nervous this week with Western because Western can score the ball. They're going to complete some passes. They're going to make some plays irregardless of what the defensive front does. Um, so the offense is going to have to come to play and actually put some points up of themselves and not just rely on field goals or turnovers from the defense. But um, I'm interested to see that game. But either way, this is Joe Janka for the Three Point Podcast, and uh, that's my thoughts for week one against Tulsa. Thank you. Go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on their upcoming auctions. they got uh, all kinds of stuff at the auction house. It's packed and you can definitely get some good deals. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com or sign up for email notifications. And you can also give Troy Crow a call at 989-720-SELL for other details. And, you know, a good spot to go watch Michigan, Michigan State, or the Lions Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. they got a big event coming up Saturday, September 7th at 8. Come on out celebrate the 80s and Freddie Mercury's birthday. The 80s and Queen will be featured with karaoke, trivia, and 89 cent well drinks also every thursday at bike night at rivals with specials all evening awesome food and drink rivals tap house and grill and corona all right guys it's good to hear from joe um he's going to check in with us periodically probably starting about mid-month but we wanted to get him a little flavor of three-point podcast and see what his thoughts were on that spartan game what do you what do you guys think i mean that that defense looks pretty good yeah, I mean, I think the defense, uh, we talked about it for weeks leading up to it. The defense is the real deal. I mean, I mean, they were playing Tulsa. Tulsa last year, I know it's a different year, new players, new season, but Tulsa was ranked in basically the bottom of college football in all offensive categories last year. Still, Michigan State holding them to minus 73 yards rushing. I don't care who it is. Uh, that's, that's impressive. 
So, yeah, their, their defense is fine. You know, Mark D'Antonio in his presser today was talking about, you know, that the offense needs to catch up and wake up and everything. I don't know. Maybe Jared was right. Maybe Lewerke isn't going to be the answer. But, you know, I'd still chalk that up to it was the first game of the season. They got a win. It was sloppy. It was ugly. Their defense, if anything, will keep them in any game this year. Which is what we thought. Yeah, negative 73 yards rushing. That's the big storyline. I, I actually think it's hilarious. I was actually kind of rooting for their defense because did you guys see, like, Corey Taylor, Tulsa's running back, said they're going to run for, like, 200 yards or something <laughs> on the ground. Negative, well, it's 273 yards off. But, yeah, the defense is scary, as we knew. And, but Lewerke, 21 for 37, 192 yards against Tulsa. I mean, it's only going to get worse from here. Tulsa, 192 yards. And, and the crowd just raining booze on the offense. I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And obviously, like Matt said, the defense is going to be able to keep them in any game. But at some point, you got to be able to put points on the board. Yeah. And this offense, I mean, they're rushing for three yards to carry. They just looked hor- They did not look good at all on offense, just like we expected. Well, I'll say one thing. I mean, I know you were pretty negative on the Michigan start, but uh, the fans out there for MSU, not too happy either. I'm sure the, the Twitter world was lit up with different commentary. I, I for one, I watched the whole game. I didn't think Lewerke was that terrible. I mean, was he great? No, but uh, I, I think they do still have some questions on that offensive line. That's really where I see it's, it's, it's a big weakness. And, you know, the fans, smart fans, see what's happening out there. I mean, you, you got to protect your quarterback and you got to open some holes for the running backs. And there wasn't a lot of that going on. Yeah, the offensive line is a little iffy, and, you know, so that goes into protecting Lewerke, too, especially with his, you know, he was a little banged up last year. And I guess that's my thing is, you know, D'Antonio made some changes, if you want to call them changes, on his coaching staff in the offseason. Basically just shuffled the chairs on the deck of the Titanic with his coaching staff, just moving guys around. Harbaugh brought in a brand-new offensive coordinator, though. So just looking at those two teams, both teams' offenses needed to change after last year. I don't know how any Michigan or Michigan State fan can like watch those two games and not see a clear difference in the play calling from Michigan to Michigan State. You know, even though Lewerke threw the ball a lot and you know they were maybe struggling on the offensive line a little bit, you know, the play calling by Michigan and Josh Gaddis was much more updated, if you want to say that, much different than what we saw last year out of Michigan compared to what Michigan State was doing. Well, Michigan State was a little bit more from shotgun. Uh, than I think they have been in the past. But, but what did you mean? So when you said they shuffled the chairs, like the Titanic, are you saying that this ship is like going down, like Michigan State's going down and they're the Titanic? Or is that just you just said that? I'll go ahead and uh, leave that open to interpretation. I'm not, I'm not uh, upset with <laughs> I kinda, your, I how like you interpreted it, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to assume that you meant that it's going down, and, and I like that. <laughs> they, it seemed like they were trying, and you could tell that it was a new coordinator and that Michigan State was from shotgun more, and they were trying something different. But it's just, I mean, who are these athletes? I mean, they have court, they have Cody White, and that's basically the only, like, stud skill position I would say they have on this entire roster. And I know, Ted, you're going to say Connor Hayward because his dad played in the NFL. Well, that's not him. This team, and yeah, the offensive line's not good. How about we just say this, just a blanket statement. No one on this offense is any good. So anyone could be the coordinator of this group, and I don't think they're going to be able to put up really any points at all. Yeah, and again, it's it's funny how definitive some of us are here after one game. I mean, you think about it. Does anybody really ever remember week one? I mean, it's all about how you get better. I will say this. I saw D'Antonio in the press conference. He was definitely not happy. I think there's going to be some adjustments made. Now, will there be enough adjustments to be made to make this a 10-win team? I don't know. You know, it's a fine line between 8 wins and 10 wins. And if you make adjustments, if you do feel you have the talent, and if this offensive line can somehow gel – yeah, we'll see what happens. We all know, though, that Michigan State has just a killer schedule, which is going to be a big, big factor. But I agree with both you guys. There wasn't a lot to really be too enthused about if you were a Michigan State fan. Did you not get all you needed to know about Michigan and Michigan State last year with Michigan losing to Notre Dame and Michigan State in a dogfight with Utah State? I got a lot. I think that you could have predicted the whole season after that, after week one last well, year. I mean, that, yeah, you, you look at it that way, I guess so, but every season is a little different. So so basically, now that you've watched week one, Jared, it's got to be directed at you. Have you changed your thoughts on Michigan? I, w- I will say this. I'm very worried about the Michigan State game now. I w- before the season, I wasn't at all. 
but I could just see Mark D'Antonio putting Josh Gaddis's mind in a pretzel, and that just makes me very nervous. So throw out week one for Michigan State, as crappy as they played from your viewpoint, and now you're worried that they're going to beat Michigan. Because the thing is, the, this Michigan State defense is the only like sure thing I can get from it. Like Michigan's defense wasn't 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 impressed with them. Michigan's offense, Michigan's offense, I wasn't impressed with them. Michigan State's offense definitely wasn't impressed with them. The only thing that my big takeaway from this weekend is that Michigan State's defense is legit. And like Matt said, they're going to stay in every game this year just because of that defense. And with D'Antonio, a little bit of D'Antonio magic against Michigan, like we've seen so many times, I'm nervous about that game. Yeah, I'd be nervous about it no matter what. But uh, I, I this week one has no effect on my mind on leading to that game in mid-November. But I guess we'll see. So, yeah, I want to get your guys' thoughts. You know, Herb talked about it a little bit when we were talking to Ryan about college football. You know, there were some other kind of teams that, like he mentioned, Alabama and Duke were scoreless after one quarter. FAU made some adjustments. They actually held their own against Ohio State. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, I know, Ted, you talked about off-air. Jalen Hurts is your guy. I mean, it sounds like you're already ready to give him the Heisman Trophy. One thing that surprised me, I couldn't believe so many people, like, didn't think that he was going to be good at Oklahoma. They've won – their quarterbacks have won the last two Heisman Trophies. He was 26-2 and as a starter at Alabama, and everyone just seemed to think that he, like, just was only getting by because he was at Alabama. I think he proved some people wrong, at least for one game. Yeah, you gotta you got to admit. He's the week one Heisman winner right there. I mean, that, yep. you don't have a game like 20 of 23, 332, three touchdowns, 16 carries, 180 yards for three touchdowns. I mean, that, that's mind-boggling. He is steps that, right into that program. Yeah, is that? but is that his doing? That's just Lincoln Riley. I mean, what we've learned is that that's basically quarterback you. I think you, if you plugged me into that offense, I'd probably throw for two touchdowns and run for two. Jared, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but if you threw uh, Asher O'Hara into that offense, Middle Tennessee State's quarterback, he might have put on a clip. Well, let, like let's back season. it up. Let's back it up for just a second. Now, I, I agree with what you're saying about the coach. I mean, he obviously – I don't know if he'll last in college football very much longer. He may end up in the pros, but you're really shortchanging what Hurts put together and what you – I mean, I don't know if you saw him play other than the highlights, but we knew he could play, but it looks like he made that stuff step up, you know, where he might be a legitimate solid pro quarterback. I don't know. I was I mean, I know it's only week 1, but yeah, it's the system too, but man, he looked good. It's just this, he did look really good, but it's just the storyline is not how Lincoln Riley is just a quarterback guru and offensive guru. It's just how well Jalen Hurts looked and yeah. what a story it is. I mean, it was Houston after all. Yeah. I mean, I just I don't know. I don't know. Houston was Maybe he's legitimate more bit. than MTSU, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and that, but I mean, is that a glowing endorsement? Does no, not really. Compared to Michigan, <laughs> not really. But hey, look, the kid had a heck of a game. Oklahoma's going to be there again this year. I mean, that team looked like a playoff team to me for sure, with the way Hertz is playing. I mean, and you know, as down as you are on Michigan, what on earth did happen to Tennessee these last couple of years? I mean, they, I don't know. People have been talking about it at work a lot, obviously, and and. I know you work on the Feinbaum show. What was the what was the feel there? Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Today, I was on the show today. We're recording this on Tuesday night, and the fans were just calling in, and they've been they've been a mess for a while. You know, um, they've been going through a bunch of coaches. Lane Lane Kiffin was one of their coaches, and they haven't. I, I feel like the overall feel is like they just haven't found the right coach yet. Kind of. I mean, Michigan kind of went through that for a while too. You know, thought they had one with Rich Rod. Thought they brought back a Michigan man with Brady Hoke. I think Tennessee is kind of going through the same thing, and they've just – I mean, they also play in the SEC, so you can't you know, you know, can't fall too far behind in the SEC or else you're going to get beat by Georgia State. So, yeah, yeah that, that's a bad loss, though. Final thought. The thing that I don't understand about the whole t- – like, maybe it's just – Tennessee's never been good my entire life. They haven't been good. And it's like everyone was like, oh, my – like, what's happened to Tennessee? I guess I'm just too young. They – I just don't – I've never been in a world where Tennessee is really good. It seems like every week one they're in a dogfight with somebody. What They might not lose, but you know, that's just not that good of a team. That, that is kind of a fair point, Jared. I mean, I, I forget that a lot, that, you know, from the angle you're coming at, it's very true, you know. I mean, you watched uh, Michigan get beat by Ohio State seven straight times by Urban Meyer. You, you don't remember the glory days. There no, were none. Exactly, and that's the same way I look at Tennessee right now. Yeah. And it's just – 
That's that's fair. One other question on college football before we uh, wrap things up, but uh, isn't this weird uh, the way that the the quarterback carousel has turned out this season with that whole transfer portal and all that? I mean, it's just it, what do you guys think of that in general? Well, I mean, Dan I, Patterson comes from the transfer portal. Yeah, I know that. I understand that. I'm okay with it. I, I think it's kind of cool, like watching Jalen Hurts. Would you rather, as a college football fan, would you rather Oklahoma have some Asher O'Hara in at quarterback versus Houston, or would you rather have Jalen Hurts taking snaps for no? Oklahoma? But the same thing with Washington. You know, Jacob Eason, he could be sitting on the bench behind Jake Fromm, Justin Field, Ohio State. Like these guys are just be riding the bench. They don't want to be wasted. Well, the thing is that the play be as good as it can be. The thing with Hurts, though, he he graduated. He stuck it out. And then made his move, right? He's got his degree, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. He was a grad transfer, so he didn't. He wasn't a transfer portal guy. Yeah, that's a different story. Okay. I agree with you on Shea Patterson, but then I think they're I think they're stretching the rules a little bit. Myself, I think some of these kids are just using that to their advantage because they got beat out, and then they're just saying, "Well, I'm going to go to another school where I can start." I understand that philosophy. I'm not so sure. I I really endorse it. I do for the guys that you know were lied to, recruited, you know, illegally, like Patterson. Basically, he had the out. He had a legitimate reason, but some of these guys, I'm not so sure, do, but are are using the system. Yeah, there's there's definitely, and the NCAA is just kind of making it up as they go with who they give eligibility to and then who they don't. Right. You know, and so I think yeah, there's there's guys like maybe leaving for the wrong reasons, if you want to say like that, just because they lost the job to someone else. Because you see a guy like Hertz, you know, lost his job to Tua. Stuck it out, kept learning, kept getting coached by Alabama staff. You know, he even came in in the SEC championship last year and won the game. So, you know, he's still got a chance to play. And so, and then he transfers, and now he's on his way to winning another Heisman. But my, my biggest thing with the whole transfer portal is coaches, you know, you mentioned players getting recruited, you know, lied to or whatever you want to say. Coaches are free to come and go as they please. And, you know, they can sign a contract, and then all of a sudden if they want to leave, they can leave. And you know they're sitting in those kids' living rooms or kitchen telling the parents, I'm going to be here for the four years that your kid is here. I'm going to turn him into a man. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And then they can just bounce, and it's like it's nothing. So I, I definitely think kids should be able to do the same. If, if coaches are able to, they should be able to, too. I guess. So, I guess it's a fair guess, point. How, was, how is that the wrong move? So if somebody gets beat out, how is it the wrong move to transfer? So if you're Justin Fields, he gets beat out by Jake Fromm. He might as well just punt on the NFL, punt on his whole college career, just sit and be his backup his whole career. No, I don't think it's. How I don't think. The, it, well, that's what you said. No, no. I, I think you should be able to transfer, but they they eliminated the sit out one year rule. That's what what's given me a little grief. Right. That that's one thing Harbaugh said. I think it was during Big Ten media days when they asked him about uh, you know all the, this this topic. He he kind of threw out an, an interesting I don't know scenario or rule that he thinks should be in place. He said he thinks kids should be able to transfer one time and have immediate eligibility, and then after that they can transfer, but then they might have to sit out a year or whatever. So that kind of gives the kid, okay. you know, if, you know, you got to think about it too. A lot of these kids are same hometown their whole lives or whatever. Then they maybe go across the country or go somewhere else, and, you know, maybe they just don't adjust well to a new city, a new state. So then that give them that one time to transfer, figure it out for a year or two, have immediate eligibility, you know, at least give them that because – I don't. I think people don't think about that sometimes. That these kids leave and maybe they just don't adjust to college life the same as you know everyone else does. You know, so give give them one time immediate eligibility, and then after that, I guess figure it out. But you know, I I think like people are saying they're they're getting up on their soapbox a little bit and acting. You know, seeing these kids, you know, trying to give that like millennial take. Like these kids aren't tough. They're losing the job. So they just want to transfer. They don't want to battle it out or whatever. I think that's what people say with the whole transferring. You know, they're like they're they're soft. They're taking the easy way out and just leaving when they should be battling and winning the job. So I don't I don't know if I really agree with that. All right. Well, I think we have different opinions on that. We'll just leave that there and finish up our our college football talk with that. Well, that'll do it for now, everybody. Subscribe, rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the others. Follow and comment to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 3 Point Pod. Make sure to support our 3 Point Podcast partners, Main Street Pizza, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Pro Mac Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Sports Radio Detroit for their great variety of programming. We want to say a big thanks to Ryan Terpstra. He's at Terp himself and Joe Janka at Janka Joe. We'll be checking in with them periodically throughout the college football season. This has been a three-point 
podcast production with special thanks to Sportsnet Michigan and WJSZ Radio. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast.